Shalom and welcome everyone to this week's ICEJ weekly webinar. Shalom Okay, we have Chinese translation on the English. Please uh, switch that. Thank you. I want to welcome you to this week's webinar. I'm David Parsons, uh, one of the vice presidents at the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem. And our senior spokesman, we just want to thank you for joining us each week. We took a, take a look at current affairs, some of our projects, or uh, biblical prophetic teachings. Uh, an interesting, fascinating topic to go over uh, each week on the, uh, this uh, podcast. And we just welcome you. I'm coming to you from the coast of Israel today, Netanya. And uh, usually we're in our Jerusalem headquarters, but we just thank everyone for joining us. Now, today we're going to take up the subject of Israel and the days of Noah. It's going to be a biblical prophetic teaching that uh, tries to uh, tell, uh, look at how Israel fits into the whole concept that the last days will be like the days of Noah, how it fits in it. Now, when we talk about uh, prophetic interpretation, end-time scenarios, uh, of course, I was um, uh, came uh, born again uh, in my early teens when the Holy Spirit, uh, the charismatic movement, swept through our region. Uh, my parents, uh, so many in our community, dramatic healings, many saved. And, and such, and filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, of course, you're interested in, in end times instantly. And uh, the most popular prophecy book in those days was, uh, of course, uh, Late Great Planet Earth um, by Hal Lindsey. It was a good book, fascinating, uh, and uh, many good insights. But um, I was never truly satisfied with some of the prophecy charts and some of the prophecy models, uh, and especially how Israel uh, fit into it, uh, that seemed to be very popular, whether it was in the 70s and 80s or even to this day, some that are still with us. And I um, began searching these things out um, myself for a better understanding of how uh, God wanted the end of this age to come to an end, and what was his purpose, and what's ahead, uh, to have a better framework or model for understanding the days we live in, because I do believe we're living in the last days. And what I found, uh, it's quite um, important, I think, and, and quite interesting, if you're interested in uh, end time prophecies, that the Hebrew prophets, throughout the Hebrew prophets, they give actually two events in biblical history, past events that occurred in the Old Testament, that serve as models or paradigms or patterns for the uh, end of days. And one is the flood of Noah, and the other is Israel's exodus from Egypt. So many times in the prophets, it'll say, it'll be like the days when I brought you up out of the land of Egypt over and over again. Even the return of the Jews today, it says, uh, 
there's going to be something in the last days that you, you'll no longer say the Lord liveth, that it's twice in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord liveth, that brought us up out of the um, uh, land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth who brought us from the north country and all the countries, the lands where he had scattered us, that there's an exodus scenario in the last days that even uh, exceeds the exodus uh, from Egypt uh, 3,500 years or so ago. And and that was a big event in Israel's history, very dramatic. It remains the most important event uh, in, in in Jewish history. They recall it at Passover and even at Shavuot, which we just went through. Uh, and uh, so it is clearly in the Hebrew prophets a model for what's going to happen at the end of days. And the flood as well, there's quite a few passages you can point to that that uh, the Hebrew prophets say that the flood of Noah is like a model or, fr- or paradigm for the end of days. And both of these models are affirmed in the New Testament. If you look at the Exodus model, you go to the book of Revelation, it's at least six, even seven of the plagues that came upon Egypt are also mentioned in the book of Revelation as some of the, the bowl or pile or trumpet judgments that are coming in the last days, darkness, water turning to blood, hail, so so many other things. Um, that then, uh, you know, it's really uh, affirming in the New Testament the Exodus analogy and the flood as well. We're going to look at that today because it's Jesus himself who says that um, uh, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And I began uh, sort of studying out the flood analogy Around um, it was uh, around the time of the millennium when there were a lot of I was getting a lot of questions from journalists from the media, you know, is do, do Christians think the Lord Jesus is coming back in the year two thousand and all the millennium hype? And I had to really refute that. I had dozens and dozens of interviews with CNN and BBC and Washington Post, New York Times, all the mainstream media coming in those days. And uh, I, you know, refuted that that sort of notion, but I wanted to have a better understanding myself how to answer it and what was God's purpose. How do I tell uh, the mainstream media in the world, you know, not just how I might interpret prophecy, but what is the, the, the purpose of God and how does the character of God play into it? And I started uh, really... Uh, chewing on the flood analogy, I thought it was very, very important. And it gave us, you know, we have a different prophecy charts about the last seven years of the tribulation. Of course, we can uh, basically, that's pretty clear in, in the Bible, but this happens and that, and the prophecy chart saying this and that happens. But the flood analogy, the, the story of the flood uh, it plays out over about 120 years, and you've got a whole decision by God to judge the world, and then his waiting, his divine um, suffering and, and forbearance and long-suffering in order to allow people to repent, to give them warning signs, and to allow the rebellion in the heart of man to ripen to his judge judgment, just judgment, so that by the time he does come to judge us, 
We, we deserve it. And so you have in the flood model a much longer period to look at, to look at the signs around us and say, you know, is this uh, happening today? So I studied this out for 15 years and I wrote a book. Um, I'll share my screen quickly. Uh, I wrote a book that came out in uh, 2018 called Floodgates. And I hope uh, we can see that there. Uh, the book Floodgates by David Parsons. You can get it at Amazon. Well, I just saw them. I checked on the web. It's at Walmart, some of these other places. But uh, I suggest if you want it, you go, uh, if you're in the U.S., go to the ICEJ USA online shop or uh, elsewhere. Go to ICEJstore.com. Uh, uh, it's the online store of the International Christian Embassy. I believe it's icejstore.com. So you can get the book Floodgates there. But uh, I um, was uh, really, you know, spending a lot of time studying out the flood model, trying to understand it. And uh, and that's what we're going to focus on today and, and specifically on how Israel fits into the flood paradigm, the flood model, which the Hebrew prophets give us and is affirmed in the New Testament. And when we ask, well, where is it affirmed in the New Testament? This is where we're going uh, at the very start here in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, we'll start with verse uh, 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And I think this notion that uh, eating and drinking, marrying and marriage, there's high divorce rate and everyone's partying and whatever, I, I, some of the way that this is interpreted or handled, I just think it means that the world's going to just be going on and on as if nothing really is changing or happening so unexpected until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And as we go through this, we just want to always keep our eye. It's not even about Israel. It's about the coming of the Son of Man, which this world needs so much. Now, this particular passage, Matthew 24, uh, verse 37 and, and 39 uh, it's, it's basically verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also were the coming of the Son of Man be Jesus, looking at the, he, he didn't take this off the top of his head, he read in the Hebrew prophets and, uh, and developed his prophetic thinking and prophetic views based on what was written in the Hebrew prophets. Uh, and and uh, I think this will become a little clearer as we go through this, but he uses, he affirms the flood of Noah as a model for the end of days, and you can find this also in uh, in Second Peter, you can find it in Jude, 
You, know, you find it basing in the teachings of, of Paul in Romans 1 and 2, where uh, he talks about the moral slide in the pre-flood world and how God judged it and how we're storing up judgment today. So all through the New Testament, uh, following the lead of Jesus himself, all of his disciples, the apostles, are also and right into the book of, of John. Uh, there's not a whole lot of time to go into that, but it's, you know, Jesus himself affirms the flood analogy for the end of days. And it's part of the his Mount Olivet Discourse. Uh, Bible scholars uh, speak of this. It's his message on the end times, what's going to happen, uh, that he gave sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And it's basically the eschatology of Jesus. And I think we, um, one of the things we have to realize, there's a tendency among all of us and even uh, Bible scholars to take everything that Jesus says there and just cram it into, say, the last seven years or into the end of the days. And, and some people just aren't able to take some of the things he said there and check it off and realize some of this has happened, that you've got 2,000 years of history and did, did some of this already happen? Uh, and what are the signs left? What is left to occur? And I think we'll gain a little better understanding of this. But when we look at the Mount Olivet Discourse, his, uh, the, the end time teaching of Jesus, it's in Matthew chapter 24. You have a parallel in Mark 13 and a third uh, version in Luke 21. They're parallel. They're very, very similar. There's little subtle differences. But I think a good way to look at that is that, uh, you know, perhaps, you know, the uh, a certain newspaper, the uh, Des Moines Register had someone there covering it, someone from the New York Times and someone from the L.A. Times. And each of them are recounting it, and it's all close. And that, you know, when you study the Gospels, especially the Synoptic Gospels, it's fairly, uh, you know, we can really trust the Word of God. It's accurate, but we get a little bit more perspective from each of these. And some of the points are maybe a, a little more emphasized in one of the, uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, than the other. Uh, and, but I've, uh, you know, in all my years of walking with the Lord, studying the Bible, listening to many messages, reading books, I was never really satisfied with the way, you know, uh, no one really had, um, you know, the really whatever it was to unlock our understanding of the, the these three chapters in Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. I think Derek Prince, a very respected uh, uh, Bible teacher of blessed memory, uh, I think he did one of the best jobs. And he he had, uh, I think he wrote in one of his books, he says, if you'll notice, uh, it's interesting that the questions that are asked in Matthew 24, Jesus answers them over in Luke 21. And the questions in Luke 21 about the end times, Jesus answers over in, in Matthew, and of course, it's the writers afterwards writing these things. But it was only after I had read um, my written the book Floodgates and published it 2018, and as I was going around in some of the uh, book launch tours and speaking about it, 
I just felt the need to get a better grip on the whole Mount Olivet discourse because this analogy to the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man, I had to better get a better grip on how that fit into the whole uh, end-time teaching of, of Jesus. And I had some idea, but I, I just wasn't satisfied yet that there's something more. And one day, uh, as I had been praying about it over a period of time, the Lord just dropped this right into my spirit. It, was, it just came so clear that Jesus actually is giving a three-point sermon, a three-point message like a good preacher, uh, three points that he gives in uh, his uh, teaching on the end times on the Mount of Olives. And, um, and as we look at this, I think it's a good foundation to start building the rest of what we're going to cover today. And you have to realize that he, they, he has said that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Not one stone of the temple is going to be left on the other. They say, look, it's so beautiful. And what are you talking about? Be destroyed. And, and he doubled down. Not one stone will be left on another. And they said, well, when's that going to happen? And what's going to be the sign of your coming? And the word there is parousia, meaning his unveiling, his revealing himself through unmistakable signs to the whole world that he's Messiah. It wasn't the question, what are going to be the signs of your second coming, which is the way we interpret it. And Jesus realized he had to sit down his followers and give them a good, solid, prophetic framework for the days ahead, because they didn't even know there was going to be a second coming of the Lord. They had no idea of that. It was like a secret of the kingdom. And they believed, just like the rest of Israel, the followers of Jesus believed that when the Messiah comes and reveals himself, it's going to be so impactful that the dead are going to rise, that there's going to be no more war. He's not only going to throw off the Romans and give Israel back its kingdom and have something like in the days of King David and Solomon, but that the animal kingdom will change, that the wolf will lay down with the lamb, the lion will eat straw like an ox, that the world will be at peace. Men will learn war no more, Isaiah 2, um, Micah 4 that Jerusalem will be elevated and they'll beat their swords into plowshares, that the world, when the Messiah comes, there was only one coming of the Messiah, and when he comes, it's going to be so dramatic and such changes that the dead are going to be raised. The animal kingdom will change. There'll be no more wars, no more death, no more sickness. And uh, he had to sit them down and start giving them, a, reset their whole prophetic thinking, their whole timeline. And the first thing he did, this is sermon point one of Jesus in, in the Mount Olivet Discourse. The first point is he's saying, beware of false messiahs. Don't follow after them. And even if war, it, it, it says wars and rumors, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, uh, pestilence, earthquakes, um, uh, in diverse places, all, all these plagues and different things. Uh, and we take that when he says that as if uh, earthquakes today or plagues today or famines today are signs of the end times or wars and rumors of war are signs of the end times. No, what he is telling them, he says, I am the Messiah. 
I am the one you've been looking for. Do not look for another. They are false Christ. They are false messiahs. Don't believe them. I'm the one, even if wars continue, even if the animal kingdom hasn't changed, even if the earth is still not at rest, I am still Messiah. In uh, medieval times, when some of the Christian rulers would force the Jewish community into a public, uh, what they called a disputation, a public dispute over the messianic credentials of, of Jesus, uh, the, when the Jews would, would respond, they'd put up their best uh, debater, their best sage, and the first thing he'd say, look, the Bible is clear, when the Messiah comes, the, the dead will rise, the earth will be at rest, there'll be no more wars, the animal kingdom will change, and Jesus came and went, and all those things are still with us. And yet Jesus preempted all of that by saying, don't look for another Messiah. I am the one. And even if these things, these things will continue, but I'm coming again at a later time. He has to reset their whole prophetic chart. And so when you read these chapters, you have to place yourself on the Mount of Olives with the mindset that they had in those days, and then see how Jesus alters it and corrects it and gets them looking forward. And of course, when he says, um, I am the Messiah and, and establishing his credentials as Messiah, of course, it ends that the, the priority is to go preach this, the gospel in all nations. And when it has been preached in all nations around the world, then the end shall come. That's one of the signs that we look for here in the last days with so many nations now receiving the gospel. But that is point one of his sermon. I am the Messiah. You are to preach the gospel about me until I come again. And when you've reached all the nations with this message of, of the gospel and my sacrifice, then the end will come. He makes two more points, and they are related. The next two points are related, and it's based on the principle uh, that judgment begins in the house of the Lord and then to the world at large. It's a biblical principle, Old Testament, New Testament. And what he does is he divides those two judgments. First, it's the judgment on Israel that was already coming on Israel. He had already warned them, Jerusalem will be, uh, you know, this temple we destroyed. You're not going to have one stone left on another. He was warning them that a judgment is coming upon this people. And the Bible is clear throughout the Old Testament. It talks about two exiles and two returns. And this second exile and return will be uh, basically during the times of the rest of the remaining times of the Gentiles. And we see this clearly in Luke chapter 21, verse 24. It should be very familiar uh, to us. Uh, and we'll, um, we'll start up in, um, in verse, uh, verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. I mean, if you read late great planet Earth, if you understand a lot of the, the very popular 
but very flawed prophecy charts and prophecy scenarios that we still have with us to this day. When we see Jerusalem's going to be surrounded by armies, we think it's for our day. And, you know, when this happens, you can't go back for your coat or whatever. I'm telling you, Jesus was talking to his own people in those days. You are going to see a judgment on Jerusalem that starts a long judgment and exile against Israel. Judgment begins in my house, says the Lord, and it's going to last, it says down in verse 24, um, uh, in verse 23, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, talking about the land of Israel and the people of Israel, they will fall by the edge of the sword, be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, here we are, uh, two millennia since Jesus said this, and there are still people, Christians, good, well-meaning Christians, who say this hasn't happened yet, that it's still a future event. And you have to wonder and scratch your head, well, what about the last 2,000 years of the testimony of history that the Jews, Jerusalem indeed was surrounded by the Romans in 760, uh, in 70 AD, that they were scattered to the nations, and that now Jerusalem is back in Jewish hands. There seems to, we're in the last times because that judgment and exile against Israel is winding up. And, and the Bible is accurate. What Jesus said here is accurate. What he actually does is when he talks about the judgment or exile in Jerusalem during the time of the Gentiles, Jesus is taking Daniel chapter 2, the vision of the, um, the head of gold, the, the tall image, head of gold with Babylon, the uh, shoulders and arms of silver, um, and the... the uh, belly of uh, bronze. This is all the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Medes and the Persians. You got two arms. The bronze uh, uh, were the Greek, and then the uh, legs of iron, thighs and legs of iron. That's the Romans and the feet of iron and clay, which is is today. He Jesus takes that. He says that image represents the sweep of the Gentile age, the times of the Gentiles, and he lays that down right beside Daniel chapter 9, where Daniel is praying about the judgments and exiles of his people, and particularly of Jerusalem. He's been fasting and praying about it. He says, when are they all going to be over? And the angel Gabriel comes from the presence of the Lord and said, Seventy uh, sevens are appointed, weeks or whatever are appointed for uh, uh, your for your people and your holy city, meaning Jerusalem. That there are appointed times for exiles and of Jerusalem, appointed times where they're there, and they run right parallel with the times of the Gentiles. That there are certain appointed times or weeks where the Jews are in Jerusalem and certain times when they're not, and when they are both going to be completed at the same time. And Jesus says, look, when the this statue, when it has reached down near the feet of iron and clay, the times of judgment of Jerusalem are also going to be ending, 
at the same time. I think that's an important insight for us to take from this. And I think it's also important, Jesus is speaking from several places throughout Luke 21, Matthew 24, um, but uh, the most important, I think, is Ezekiel 5, the two-thirds judgment, uh, and uh, also a destruction on Jerusalem, which comes straight from the law of Moses. And I think this is an important point, that God is a good father. He's a fair God, and he set out exactly what would happen to Israel if they fell into such idolatry and such rebellion against him, they would be surrounded in sieges uh, of their cities in the land so bad that they would um, then uh, they 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 would be uh, in those sieges so bad where they turn to cannibalism. Fathers who eat their sons, sons their fathers. It's not nice to talk about it. And then they would be scattered to the nations. God set forth in the law of Moses exactly how he would judge Israel for its rebellion against him. And Jesus is drawing from that. And uh, Ezekiel 5 is one of the clearest chapters, almost quoting word for word at times, from the judgment chapters in the law of Moses. Uh, you can go look at it, Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26. The heading of the chapter will say, blessing or curse. You have a choice, and if you turn your back on me, here's the curse that will come upon you. And so God set forth a specific way he would judge Israel involving sieges in their cities, including Jerusalem, and eventually exile. And once God finished judging Israel, he would then judge the nations that he used as an instrument of correction against them. This is the principle. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. He may use um, Babylon or Assyria to judge Israel, but once he's finished judging them, it's then time to judge those nations because they always go too far. They show no mercy. They think their hand did it. You can find this, Isaiah 10 is the judgment of, uh, where God says, I'm going to use Assyria, uh, that it's the uh, rod of my anger against Israel, but then I'm going to judge Assyria. Uh, Isaiah chapter 47, Jeremiah chapters 25 and 50, all three of those chapters talk about the, the God using Babylon to judge Judah and Jerusalem, to judge Israel. And then he would judge Babylon once he had finished with Israel. This is a biblical principle in the Old Testament that is affirmed in the New Testament. Romans chapter 2, in this uh, passage where we, we're quite familiar with it, we preach it all the time, that, that salvation is for the Jew first and then the Gentile. Well, it also says in Romans 2 verses 8 and 9, that uh, that judgment and wrath of God is to the Jew first and then to the Greek or to the Gentile, that whether it's salvation first to the Jews or judgment, it first happens to the Jews and then the Gentiles. Romans 3, where Paul is talking about, um, uh, the is there any reason to still be a Jew in the flesh? Well, he, uh, um, he answers it in a certain way that, uh, sure, the oracles of God, 
But then he asks an interesting question about how God has dealt with Israel. He says, if God ever did anything to us that we did not deserve, if God was ever unfair in the way he's judged us, and it was harsh, exiles, sieges, uh, if he ever did anything and was not fair, then how can he judge the world? In other words, Israel gets judged first, and then the world, and First Peter 4 17 repeats this very principle, judgment begins in my house. If judgment begins in the house of the Lord, well then what, how can the world, will the world even be able to stand when God comes to deal with them? And so in the eschatology of Jesus, he said, first I'm the Messiah, you preach the gospel about me, and, and then the end will come. Second, there's going to be a judgment and exile upon Israel and especially Jerusalem until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, meaning then God, it's time once he's finished judging Israel, it's the times of the Gentiles, God's favor and, and mercy on them is over, and it's time for him to judge them for the way they've mistreated Israel and never accepted uh, their redemptive role in the world. And we see, um, uh, I think, what we need to uh, really get a handle on here as I try and close this section is that so many prophecy teachers, when they go through and look at prophecies, uh, there's no consistency to it. There's no real, uh, you know, solid way that they're approaching in a framework. And here, if you take that framework, Judgment begins with Israel. They've been judged for 2,000 years. They're coming back to Jerusalem, coming back to the land where it's now time to judge uh, the nations. So many Bible teachers and so many Christians, they look at all the prophecies about the judgment of Israel, the judgment of the world, and they mix them up. They just mix them all together, and it's all just mixed in there. And yet, it's clear from a biblical standpoint, from the standpoint of God, he does not mix the two, and we should not either. And Jesus says, look, the model for understanding the, um, the judgment on the nations at the end of days is not what I said about Jerusalem. It's the days of Noah, which was a worldwide catastrophe judging the nations. Jerusalem will be a magnet to draw the nations up, but the judgments that are coming are worldwide. And God has, I believe he's, com he's completed the worst he would ever do to Israel. Uh, and Jesus says it himself there in, in, in Luke 21, that in the days of uh, the tribulation, the wrath of the days will be the, unlike anything before and anything after, the worst I'll ever do to you, Israel. But the days of Noah are the model for God's dealings with the nations. He's just and he's fair. He told Israel how he would judge and punish them. And the Bible is clear on how he would judge the nations. Where does Jesus get this concept about the days of Noah? Uh, because, uh, you know, it's, it's an important one place is Isaiah 24, uh, this whole chapter is the scariest chapter in the Bible. It's called the Isaiah Apocalypse. It talks about how the, the surface of the earth is going to be disfigured again. 
just like in the flood, there's still evidence all around us of the, the flooding and the deluge and er the way it transformed uh, the surface of the earth, that uh, the inhabitants the of the earth will be burned and few men will be left. This is judgment by fire, not by water this time, but by fire. This is on Isaiah 24, that the earth is actually going to shake uh, and tremble and split open. That's a scary thing. The earth, this is talking about earthquake and volcanic activity of an incredible scale ahead of us. Uh, and it talks about the windows of heaven above and the fountains below opening up. What comes in this time, not water like in the flood, but fire, meteorites, asteroids, things from the heaven. Revelation talks about fire, stars, stars falling from heaven, poisoning the water, things like this. And, and uh, fire from below, all through Revelation, fire, fire, fire is the method of judgment over and over in the book of Revelation. Uh, but it ends in a good place where the Lord is sitting in Jerusalem, ruling over his people. But Isaiah 24 is a clear uh, picture of the flood judgment, a set, something similar to the flood in the last days. But Jesus also took this... Um, flood analogy, the days of Noah, from uh, the uh, another place in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 54. It's a day, of, uh, a, a, a very prophetic chapter, uh, a, a poetic chapter about the restoration of Israel in the last days, where Israel thinks they're, they say we're uh, like a woman forsaken, grieved in spirit. This is Isaiah 54, 6. Um, like a youthful wife, when you were few, says your God, but I'm your husband, I'm your maker. Uh, he says, for a mere moment, I've forsaken you, but with great mercies, I'll gather you. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. With everlasting kindness, I'll have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Now, 2,000 years of exile and judgment is a long, long time, but from the perspective of, of eternity, where God says, he says, it's just a mere moment in comparison to the eternal uh, mercy and grace that I'm going to have. Verse 9, this, this restoration of Israel and this mercy I want to show you in the last days, here the Lord says, Isaiah 54, verse 9, for this is like, uh, I, I'm reading from the New King James, this is like the waters of Noah to me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. And, uh, and uh, quite interesting that uh, the translations, I think it's the Septuagint or whatever, the Hebrew words for, for are very similar for days and for waters. Yomim, with a Y-O-M-I-M, uh, a transliteration means days. And Yamim, Y-A-M-I-M, is changed the O to an A. It means waters. And But in the Isaiah scroll that was found down at Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the complete book of Isaiah, compared to the oldest other Bible we have, it's so, so accurate. But in the Isaiah scroll, it actually uses the word uh, uh, yomim in the first reference here in verse 9. 
So it should read, for this is like the days of Noah to me, like the Yomim of Noah, for as I've sworn that the Yamim of Noah, it's poetic and it's playing on words here, that the, the days of Noah and the waters of Noah, it would no longer cover the earth, so I've sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. And just as Jesus took his own self-title, the way he described himself as the Son of Man from the book of Daniel, when he says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man, he's taking that from Isaiah 54. It's the only place in the Old Testament where the phrase days of Noah, which has a specific meaning, shows up in, uh, in a prophetic passage in the Old Testament is here in Isaiah 54. So I believe Jesus, when he says, as in the days of Noah, he's using this as his reference point and guide. And it's quite interesting uh, in considering Israel and what this particular message of Isaiah 54, it's a message of hope that I've, I mean, for a mere moment, uh, I forsook you, but with great mercies I'll gather you. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, uh, I'll have mercy on you and regathering the restoration of Israel. Uh, here, it's, it's uh, compared with the days of Noah. And here's what's interesting. When Noah was ready to get into the ark, he, he was told, build an ark, build a boat. God never told him how long he had. He had already God decided in his heart. I'm going to judge this, and I'm going to wait 120 years, and then I'll judge it. Thank God for Noah building the the boat. But uh, And just as Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour. Noah did not really know how long he had and when the flood would come. He had been warned about it. He didn't know. But he did get a two-minute warning. If you're an American football fan, if you're a soccer fan or whatever, Sometimes in some of these sports, you get a warning right near the end of the game. You only got two minutes left. The Lord came to Noah one week before the flood began. And he's, if you look back in Genesis uh, chapter 6 through 9, the flood story, God came to Noah and said, look, in one week's time, the, this storm and flood is going to start. And you need to get your family, your animal, all the food and everything on the ark. He had a one-week warning period. It's very interesting. And the Lord said, you need to get in that boat. It's a bad storm coming, but you're going to make it through. I And I will meet you on the other side of this storm. And I will make a new covenant with you there. So Noah entered the ark with his family with the assurance that he was going to make it through and that God would meet him on the other side and make a new covenant with him. And that's the really the hope that, that comes forth from Isaiah 54, this restoration of Israel is like the days of Noah to me and the waters of Noah, that just as God gave Noah that final warning and that word of comfort, you're going to make it through, I'll meet you on the other side, 
this tells the Jewish people there is a judgment coming. If you, when Isaiah was speaking this uh, 2,800 years ago or so, he, the message was to the Jewish people, there's a storm coming, but you're going to make it through it. And God says, I'm going to meet you on the other side and make a new covenant with you there. And we can, you know, we don't have time to really go into all the passages like Jeremiah and other places where it talks about a new new covenant. But it's actually, even though we have the new covenant of Jesus and the blood of Jesus now, there's actually promises that, that God just works by covenant, and there's going to be a new covenant as we enter the millennium or even after that once that's over the, with the new heaven and new earth. But Israel went into exile through this passage with the assurance they'd make it, and God would meet them again and uh, restore, renew his relationship with them. That's a wonderful promise. And passage in Jesus affirms the flood model on the nations this time, that it's going to be like the days of Noah, a worldwide catastrophic flood, and in the days of his coming. And I want to uh, just lay out quickly that the ark served two purposes, and this has to do with how the, the flood analogy uh, fits Israel here in the end times. One, it was uh, the protection, the seal. It's actually the word kafur. It's the same as Yom Kippur. It's like a blood seal, the pitch. It wasn't the boat itself, it was the pitch in between the boards that sealed and kept the water out. The, the ark was a, a place of safety and protection for Noah and his family. And I believe the land of Israel today, God is regathering the Jews here to per, have this special place protect and guard them. Uh, and we've seen, even though there's wars and, and whatever against Israel, there's something incredible around this nation, a hand of God, sovereign hand of God, protecting it, uh, that I think the Jewish people need to come home because now it's time to judge the nations. And the second th thing about the ark is that it served as a warning sign to the world they were about to be judged. Uh, we see this from Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 7 in the Hebrews Hall of Fame. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of right, the righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah, in the midst of an evil, perverse generation that was ripening to God's judgment, he was still able to be obedient and humble and faithful before God, in building the ark, and by that he condemned the world to the just judgment of God, and that ark that was going up in a time when, you know, some scholars say there were no, there was no rain in those days. People thought he was crazy, but he it was the clearest warning sign to the whole world. The whole time Noah, Noah's building, and he's saying there's a flood coming. There's a flood coming and warning them. And God is fair. He always gives warning of his judgment. And today, the building up of Zion, just as the building of the ark in the days of Noah was the, the clearest, most unmistakable sign to the world they're about to be judged today. 
the building up of Zion is the most unmistakable, clear uh, sign that the world is about to be judged by God, and this is confirmed throughout the whole Bible. Everywhere you look, it warns of it that in, in the days of the restoration of Israel at the end of the age, it's, there's going to be a major judgment on the world and his wrath poured out. We also see this in the book of Psalms, chapter uh, 102, starting with verse 12. This is one of the places that, that affirms this. Uh, uh, you know, it's a wonderful passage, the whole chapter. You start out and it almost reads like the, the Holocaust. I, I forget to eat my bread. Uh, I'm groaning. My bones cling to my skin. Uh uh, and uh, my enemies re reproach me, they deride me, swear an oath against me. I've eaten ashes like bread mingled with... It's horrible passage of uh, God's wrath, and and it almost reads like the Holocaust. You can go stand at Yad Vashem and read this. But then it says, but Lord, uh, verse 12, but O Lord, you shall endure forever the remembrance of your name to all generations. You will arise and have mercy on Zion. For the time to favor her, yes, the set time has come. There's a set time now. There was a time of disfavor, judgment, exile upon Israel, upon Zion. But now it's a time of favor, of ingathering, of building up. And uh, and it is a set time. So the nation shall fear the, the name of the Lord, all the kings your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion he shall appear in his glory. That the building up of Zion is presented here by the psalmist as the clearest sign, the restoration of Israel to their land and to their city of Jerusalem. They are the clearest sign that he, God Almighty, in the form of the, the glorified Messiah, is about to appear here in his glory. And uh, it says, verse 18, very interesting. Uh, it says, this is, will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. The uh, original Hebrew here actually is dor acharon. It means last generation. This chapter, what's being spoken here, the building up of Zion, when the Lord comes, it says it is written for the last generation, the last days very clearly how the restoration of Israel and the building up of Zion is like the building of the ark, the clearest warning sign. And no one is going to be able to say they they didn't know this. It's all through the Bible. The Bible actually talks about two exiles and two returns of the people of Israel. And people can say, oh, it's rubbish. It, it contradicts whatever. I tell you, it's consistent. And it even tells you about both exiles and both returns. It starts telling you how it's going to play out even before the first exile happens. And if you ignore it and dismiss the Word of God and dismiss the warning signs that it gives us, you deserve what you get. Because God is fair. He's already given us warning. The restoration of Israel that we see here today is to protect the people, the Jewish people, and to be a warning sign, just as Noah was in that ark, 
and protected. And just as as the ark was that warning sign to all the nations, you're about to be judged. This is how the flawed analogy so fits the nation and people of Israel today. God is fair. He gives warning. And no one is going to be able to say, I didn't know. Because it was here in the pages of God's Word for anyone to look at. It's the most read book in human history. It's the number one bestseller in human history. You got it for free in hotel rooms. You have it everywhere. And people want to dismiss it. People want to say uh, it's fairy tales and fables and whatever. I tell you, it is the holy and solemn, breathed, Holy Spirit breathed word of God. It is revelation and light on our times that we do well to heed it. And, uh, and no one is going to be rightly able to say, I didn't know it was all here. It was all here. The whole world is quite interesting. You meet uh, people from India that come and visit Israel, Christians, even non-Christians. They come to Israel, and they're, they're shocked. It's not just surprise. They're actually in shock how small the country is. Why? Because back in their TV news their radio, and their newspapers all over India. India is a big country that now surpassed China, highest population in the world. There is so much news about Israel and this war with the Palestinians and the Arabs and Iran and whatever. It's in their news all the time. And other news about Israel, high tech and whatever. They think Israel is a huge country with tens of millions of people. This is what they think. And they're shocked how small it is. And yet the whole world is aware, the Chinese people, their government may try and keep news from them, but the people of India, the people of China, the people in Latin America, Africa, you go all across Africa, everyone knows the Jews have come back to their homeland. And whether you know you are poisoned against that concept, against that, that incredible act of historic justice by God in in that he scattered them and he has brought them back, whether you support it and all, everyone knows about it. And the Bible says it is a warning to us that we are about to be judged as in the days of Noah. I think we're going to leave it there for now. We may take up uh, some other aspects of the flood analogy uh, in the uh, at another time, but uh, I think that lays a good foundation for everyone to go to their Bibles and try and search these things out for themselves. And uh, we just appreciate you for joining us here on uh, this week's uh, webinar. And we want to invite you to join us next week, the ICEJ weekly webinar, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Israel time. Uh, I think I, um, we can expect our friend Hananya Naftali he works for Prime Minister Netanyahu as his social media guru, uh, and he's uh, gotten very popular. Everything he does goes viral, and he's going to talk us about this social media battle surrounding Israel. So you want to be here for next week's webinar. Join us then. Also next Wednesday, 
at 4 p.m. Israel time uh, here in Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to have next week's global prayer gathering. Join us for the GPG. We've got some great guests, and uh, we just uh, invite you also to start praying and thinking about coming to the Feast of Tabernacles uh, September 29th through October 6th in the Galilee and Jerusalem, and then we'll also go down to the Negev. We're going to have a great time at the Feast starting late September. Join us for the Feast this year. Thank you, and God bless you. Amen.